electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be one of my friends that's trying to save you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but to educate, to teach you, put it in context. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. The lesson of today's meltdown... Dow plummeted 1,862 points. S&P plunged 5.89%. NASDAQ nosed 5.27%. The worst day since March. The lesson? Things got too easy. Everything was working. Every sector, the airlines, the oils, the health cares, the cruise lines, the transports, the banks, retail, tech. Until a few days ago, picking winners, well, you know what it was like? It wasn't like shooting fish in a barrel. It was like machine gunning them in a barrel. And when it gets that easy, when everyone thinks they're smarter than, um, what's that guy from Omaha? Uh, Warren Buffett. They all think they're smarter than Buffett. Then you know you're in for a real bruising. A genuine rollback that wipes out anyone who is buying on margin and sets back the neophytes who only knew that when you buy a stock, it goes up. That logic's now been debunked. The visceral nature of the losses, this is the kind of decline we haven't seen since the dark days of late March, has already wiped out a good chunk of the geniuses who crowded into the airlines, betting that they knew better than Buffett after he dumped the whole group. So what happens now? If there's all this money being managed by novices who only understand how to chase momentum, is it really safe to buy before those weak hands get completely blown out? Don't you also have to wait until the grizzled hedge fund guys who hated the market the whole way and missed the whole rally come on our air and say, I told you so? Well, yes and no. Yes, these professionals are absolutely going to come on and argue that regular people aren't smart enough to manage their own money. It will sound very scary as well as painfully condescending. They'll pronounce that this is merely the beginning of the decline. Of course, they have to do that because they have very little money in the market. They need stocks to go lower, and they need to justify why they've been so wrong to their own investors. So take their grim warnings with a grain of salt, please. Now, don't get me wrong. There are plenty of reasons to sell. I can think of many stocks that are still way too high, even after today's beatdown. 
There are whole sectors that should be untouchable to you, yet they've had an incredible run from the bottom. Most of these gains need to be repealed. That hasn't happened yet. Beyond the not-so-hot fundamentals, my big worry with these stocks is the shareholder base. You've got a ton of inexperienced investors coming off a big win streak, and they don't want to hear the truth, just like nobody wanted to hear the truth in 2000 when the dot-com started rolling over. So let me lay out what's safe to buy here and what isn't, starting with the ones that aren't, starting with the groups that genuinely worry me. Let's, let's hear it for the oils. Now, this cohort has had a miraculous run from the bottom along with the price of crude, which has surged from a negative 37, I know that was an aberration, all the way to $40 earlier this week. Now, it is true that the industry has recovered from the moronic price war between Russia and Saudi Arabia. But here's the issue. As long as oil was going down, our producers cut back on their drilling because they simply couldn't make any money with those oil, those prices. But with oil back in the 30s, holy cow, our oil companies are in clover. And they're starting to ramp production right back up because they need money to pay their bills. Sure, there's some pickup in demand as the economy around the world reopens, but I don't think it's enough. We've got too much supply just sitting here. Once we open the Permian Spigas, prices will get crushed. So you cannot own the oils. I'm going to repeat that. You cannot own the oils. Now, I didn't like them to begin with because Wall Street started caring about climate change. But even when you put that aside, most of the oils have tattered balance sheets and they desperately need the price of crude to keep climbing. I'd sell the oil service place, too. Don't be perturbed that you didn't catch the top. You need to bail on the oil complex before your fellow shareholders do. Oil, it's every person for themselves. Next up, if you own any travel and leisure stocks, anything even related to travel and leisure, anything from like going from here to here, okay, sell. We don't have a COVID vaccine. We don't have customers. What's the point of owning the airlines, the cruise lines, the hotels or restaurants when people are hobbled by the pandemic and they don't want to go out, they don't want to fly, and they don't want to visit, and they don't want crowds, okay? I mean, that's the bane of everything's existence here. There are a handful of retailers that work in the COVID winters. There's Amazon, there's Costco, 16 feet wide aisles, and mass. Call me a Costco shopper, Walmart, Home Depot, Target, TJX, and Dollar General. But everything else other than the super uber bargain basement stores, sell. How about the banks? Let's see, what do they need? Well, they need customers who borrow. Okay, well, house is okay, but no one's really building anything, right? They're getting uh, away with tons of fees. We can't stop that. And they've got that risk-free profit that comes from holding your deposits, quaint. But at the end of the day, there's not enough loan demand, and the banks have all suspended their buybacks, and the Fed has set rates so low that they don't make much on the deposits at all. Wells Fargo, Wells Fargo. Warren Buffett's Wells Fargo, it may be trimming its dividend. Just say no to the banks. So what's worth buying? Because there are weak-handed shareholders everywhere, you've got to be careful right now. You might want to wait for a couple of days, maybe further shake out, because many of these gamblers, and that's the right word for them, have a real bad mindset. Now, I know because I remember what it was like to be a novice investor. And right now, there are millions of inexperienced shareholders who are going to be making the same basic mistakes that I did when I got in this business. Many of these people are so new, they've never even lost large sums of money in the market, which means they won't dump everything after one bad day. You know what these guys are like? we got to go to the casino. They're like gamblers at a roulette table. See, they've been playing black, and black's won every single time, maybe over the course of many days. Now, if you don't know statistics, you think it will just keep coming up black because what happens when you spin the, the roulette wheel? It comes up black. Today, though, came up red. Now, they're going to dismiss that as an aberration, assuming things go right back to normal tomorrow. But it doesn't work like that. Black might not come up tomorrow. And heaven forbid if double zero does. 
That's why you need to tread carefully when you buy tomorrow, because when these novices start capitulating, we can get another leg down. However, you should start putting money to work tomorrow. Yes, you have to. It's going to be horrible. It's going to hurt. It's Friday. You're going to think Monday's even worse. But when these guys are blowing up, when the guys who keep playing black and it comes up, you got to buy something from them. Where's the best place to go? All right, you go with companies that will be able to hit their numbers regardless of how badly this economy gets hit by all these new COVID hotspots. Yep, with the second wave of COVID breaking out, it's time to go back to that Kramer COVID index. You want stocks with good yields and strong prospects that are well off their highs. All right, here, I'll give you one, a random one. PepsiCo, okay? Oh, boy, PepsiCo looked horrible today. I mean, it looked miserable, right? Uh, 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 got, got 3% yields, got good balance. She's doing okay. You want stocks that are levered to big long-term themes that transcend the economy, like NVIDIA, which is artificial intelligence, like AMD, which they're partnering some things, or maybe Broadcom, which is a nice 5G situation. You want companies that are reinventing themselves to become something better than just a plain old merchant pay company, like a PayPal. Hey, it turned, it's, it's the world's uh, default payment system. Hey, same goes for Apple. Now, that used to just be about hardware, right? Well, not anymore. It's it's about the service revenue stream. Facebook doesn't always didn't used to feature shops. Now it does. Zuckerberg's got to start giving some money to minority shops, man. You got to wake up and smell the coffee. Sometimes I just want to like say, guys, don't you get it? I, I don't think they get it. Um, now, there's others, too. Uh, how about Nike? That's a good one. As Nike comes down, I want to own Nike. Uh, but the bottom line, in a tough market, you need to circle the wagons around a few good names that you feel comfortable buying and then buying more if they go lower, because they might, in case the neophytes are in there. All right? And uh, those recovery plays, sadly, they're not recovering. I need to go to Dom. I didn't know Dom watched the show. Dom Chu in New York. Dom. Jimbo Booyah from Long Island, New York. What are you up to, Dom? Thanks for taking the time to answer my call and shout out to my friends at home trying to make money. Absolutely. Hey, guys at home trying to make money. What's up? My two stocks are IBR and O. I'm a 25-year-old long-term investor with a good dividend and still a lot of room for growth. Dom, 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 Domino, listen to me. Listen to me, Domino. You should be going for some growth. I want to hear things. I want to hear Nike from you. I want to hear Facebook from you. Maybe Lulu after a quarter that people don't like. I need growth from you. You're young. Don't come to me with the stuff, the geriatric stuff that I'm stuck with. Come on. I can't own stocks. So that's just a that's just a literary. We call that an illusion. This is just an illusion. All right. Anyway, you need to trade carefully. Circle back to the stocks you feel comfortable buying the next time. The ones that do okay when the COVID scourge is right back, except for this time it's hitting whole new cities. Oh, man, buddy, tonight I'm sitting down with the CEO of L3 Harris. You had to really illustrate the defense sector. Plus, young day traders have flocked to this market, as I just told you. Uh, they don't seem to know the difference between a stock and a bond, but they may able to do a little But first, as economies begin to reopen, wondering how retail is faring. <laughs> something in my throat. I'm sitting down with the CEO of PVH after earnings to get a read on the sector. So stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. 
With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact, smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere, you can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. After a brutal three-day stretch that culminated in today's bloodbath, exactly how worried should we be about the epicenter stocks, the ones that are right in the middle of the COVID-19 blast radius? We already covered the airlines, did the cruise lines, the oils, the department stores. You know, I told you, stay away from all those. That's not a new theme. But what about an empower play like PVH Corp, high quality, parent of Tommy Hilfiger, Calvin Klein? Here's a stock that got obliterated in February and March. Sinking as low as 28 bucks for rebounding to just under $70 over this week. Now, though, PVH is back down to 52.72. is looking a little bit weaker after the close. Fortunately, we know how this business is doing. Earlier tonight, PVH reported a major earnings miss on top of slightly weaker than expected sales, down 43% year over year. Of course, most of the stores that sell the merchandise were closed for six weeks of the quarter. So I, what the heck is a major miss? How do people not, believe, not know this? What really matters, though, is how the business looks now that the stores reopening. So let's take a closer look with Manny Trico, the chairman and CEO of PVH Corp. Get a better read on the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Trico, welcome back to Bad Money. Thank you, Jim. Nice to be here. All right, so Manny, what... what I, Look, you know the analyst better than I do. Brown for what did they expect? I mean, you have so many stores closed. We're in the middle of a pandemic. Uh, to call it a major miss, which is what some of the analysts are, are telling me, is really to say that they're not doing their job, not you. Well, look, Jim. To be fair to everybody, it's uh, it's it's a very difficult time to make estimates when uh, even the companies are not. None of us are giving guidance. It's hard for them to figure out what's actually happening with the business. But in the second quarter, on average, our, our stores were closed for six weeks and our customers were closed for six weeks. That's about 45% of the business. And if you think about it, for about two or three of those weeks in that quarter, 
of we were being impacted by the pandemic uh, as people were readjusting their lives. So the only clean month we had was February and business was very strong coming out of the fourth quarter of last year. And the first month of February for us was very strong. And then we hit the wall in March, as, as, as you just right. described. Uh, and we're just starting to reopen our stores now. But the, now it is true, though, the re- reopen stores are not, they're not putting up the numbers that you necessarily would like. Well, they're doing much better. Let's talk about it. They're doing much better than we would have expected. The stores have reopened. Uh, and globally, as our stores are reopening, pure brick and mortar, like for like stores and stores reopen are down about 25%. And if you think about that, uh, our North America stores, if we, as we reopen re- them, are, do, are down 25%. In Europe, that's been opened a little bit more than uh, North America, our stores are down about 20%. And in Asia, our stores are down about 25%. And in China, our brick and mortar stores are flat at this point uh, for the second quarter. So we think um, that's, that's better than we anticipated uh, when you consider all things that we're dealing with and the pressure that, that we're seeing overall with the, with the closed stores. And uh, it's, I, I, I'm pretty happy with the way they've started to reopen. Keep in mind, a significant number of our stores, both here in the United States and internationally, are in significant tourist destination locations like Orlando, Florida, Las right. Vegas here in the States, Guam in Asia, uh, Paris, Milan, there is no tourism in those, yeah. in those locations. Yeah. Right. They're dragging down a big piece of, of what we're seeing in our permanent population stores. So it's a mixed bag, but we're pretty happy the way we've opened so far in our stores. Okay, so Manny, is it, given that, uh, that you're somewhat happy, we don't necessarily have to expect anything uh, that is explosive. You're not going to call some of the department stores and say, from now on, we're going to change our model with you. Here's the way it's going to be. You're not going to go into the uh, the real estate investment trust that you're that you are uh, a lease, a lesser in and say we're not paying. Is it still business as usual on some of those bigger issues? Well, in this environment, there's no such thing, Jim, as business as usual. OK, and let's talk about the Let's talk about the wholesale channel, the department yes. store and related channel is those stores in North America have been closed from eight to 12 weeks is, go, is what it's going to be on. And look, on average, probably nine or 10 weeks during the spring summer season, first quarter and second quarter as they're starting, as they've started to reopen. There's inventory in those stores that have built up. There's orders that have been canceled. So the stores don't necessarily need fresh goods at this moment. So the second, they're not pulling goods in the second quarter as quickly as you normally would have them pulling goods for the second quarter. Right. They've got to sell off what's been in the stores. And the last thing we want to do is stuff the channel. Okay. So we're managing goods. We're canceling goods. We're, we're repurposing goods and going to carry some goods that are fresh and basic and that we could re-merchandise and carry them for next spring. We're doing all the things you would expect us to do to manage uh, the flow of goods. And, but that's a big pressure that we're going to see in the second quarter and that we saw in the first quarter is that wholesale channel of distribution. But we've got to clean that channel up so that second half of the year, those goods start to flow again. 
The only goods that are really flowing right now is our basic stock replenishment, our underwear business in particular, which is very strong. Right. We're, we're, we're replenishing those goods as the consumer is pulling them out. And my understanding and what I see in going on in those stores, they're, they're tracking, they, they've talked about their own trends, but they're doing uh, better than they had anticipated as those stores started to reopen. Okay, but man, you know, I just hear everything you say, and I say to myself, it's a pandemic, it had nothing to do with you, but you decided to forgo your salary. Uh, why? You, not your fault. No, it's, it's, look, it's the right thing to do, Jim, uh, fundamentally. Myself, our, our senior management team, we foregoed our salaries, uh, we'll reinstate them when the business is back to operating at a, at a level that makes sense. I mean, people are working really hard. Uh, so they, they deserve to be paid. We have, we have the financial wherewithal to pay people, our balance sheet, our liquidity of $1.8 billion. So it's not that we can't pay, but given the pain that our shareholders are feeling, uh, that, that we're all feeling, had to, had to put people on furlough, reduce salaries, for some, uh, reduce hours and salaries for some of our people throughout the world, especially here in North America. I think as a leader in, in the industry, as a leader for PVH, it was the right thing for me and my management team to do, and we, we were we're, we're very supportive of the effort. You know, 2020 is is going to be a mess. Let, right. Let's just cut through all the BS. It is going to be a mess of a year, and the key for us is to get through this year, manage our cash, get through this year from a cash flow point of view in a good position, and be positioned from an inventory point of view, second half of this year and really into 2021, that competitively we can take advantage of this situation. We are going to come out much stronger than a lot of the people we compete with day in, day out. They're just not capitalized as well as us. They don't have the geographic and the brand diversity that we have to withstand the pain that everybody is going through. This is going to be a painful process for our industry. Our industry is is under attack. Nobody's fault, but it's just the reality of the situation. But uh, and it's not just painful. I know in terms of business, uh, you're taking part in the National Day of Mourning. Uh, you issued a statement uh, taking a stand against racism. Why is it necessary to do? Do you think is it because is saying nothing means that you're part of the problem these days? I think that's right, Jim. I think is you know. Um, Our country is basically being ripped apart by systemic racism, and it's resulting in too many instances of social injustice across the board. As a country, as individuals, and as a corporation, we need to do better. We are by no means perfect. We We can do better. We have representation through all groups working at PVH, but we need to do better. We need to do better from a recruiting point of view. We need to do better from a training and development point of view. And most importantly, we need to do better when it comes to representation at leadership management positions throughout PVH. We are, we've embarked on a journey. It's not good. You know, I think you know me. It's, right. you know, talk is cheap. Right. But we've embarked on a journey that we're going to, we're listening to our black associates. We're with our business resource group in PVH, we're, we're meeting with them to better understand the issues that they're impacted by. We have a numerous inclusion and diversity initiatives throughout PVH overall. That's always been an umbrella for us, 
But clearly, this needs to be a focus area as we focus on gender, as we, as we also focus on sexual orientation. But we need to also fo focus on racial ethnicity issues as well and get better representation in our executive ranks across the board. We can do better and we will do better. And over the next three months, we will come out with meaningful targets and we will account we'll be accountable to ourselves and our stakeholders to meet those targets in the future. And it's not BS, Jim. I it's know what it's we're really trying. We're really, it's what we're going to do and what we're going to put forth. We just need to do better. All right. I know it's not BS when it comes to you, Manny. It's not your world. And I want to thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Uh, and uh, thank you for explaining the world to us in many different ways. It's always good to see you, sir. Take care, Jim. Good to see you. That's Manny Trico, Chairman and CEO of PBH. What you have to understand, if you're thinking of selling it, is you, should, you didn't listen close enough. He's the survivor in the group. Okay, so Mad Money's back yet to the break. I don't want you to miss my friend Scott Wapner, who's on later after the show on this special night. Here's a look at what he has on. Tonight at 7 p.m., a cautionary tale from the woman in charge of the Texas County that's becoming one of the nation's rapidly growing hotspots. Plus, concerns about a possible shortage of fruits and vegetables. We'll explain why. And Nashville's reopen hits a snag. What the city's task force chair is advising officials. All tonight at 7 p.m. with Scott Wapner. The spirit of performance defines Acura. And now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura's been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It's packed with benefits to help unlock more value from your business purchases. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. After today's total meltdown, we have to ask, how was it so easy to gun up so many sectors with so little capital? How were the day traders able to propel certain stocks into the stratosphere over the last couple of weeks? First off, when you have millions of new investors coming in, courtesy of zero commission trading, that money's going to go somewhere and it's not going to go into index funds. Too boring, too slow. Newbies prefer to get rich quick. And for, for a while there, we had plenty of get-rich-quick sectors. Second, these new investors have no tolerance for high-dollar-amount stocks. Unfortunately, the age of the stock split is over because big institutions pay commission by the share. So if, say, Amazon does a 10-for-1 split that I know you want, money managers will end up paying the brokers 10 times as much because of all the extra shares post-split. 
The big institutions have won on this issue. Don't even try to bring it up again. And that pushed newer investors into a smaller cohort of low dollar amount stocks that can easily be pushed up when people buy buy a mess at once. They love, love, love stocks under 10. Easy to move. Third, these new buyers don't seem to know how to read a balance sheet. I saw this when I first went to work at Goldman Sachs. I was working with Eddie Lampert back when he was still an arbitrage guy, long before he took over Sears. And I remember one day he was dealing with a new hire. He said, this person didn't know the difference between a stock and a bond. We laughed. But when you get millions of neophyte buyers who don't know the difference between a stock and a bond, it stops being funny. It starts messing up the market. Finally, these new buyers crowded into the same set of names, creating the impression that those stocks were in the middle of sustainable long-term rallies. They weren't. Notice, I'm not talking about market manipulation, not that it would matter because it's been years since the SEC even looked at that kind of case. I'm just talking about people trying to pick momentum stocks when the momentum lasts, lasts, and then, of course, try to get out (laughs) when it ends. That's what drove the strength in the cruise lines. Those stocks made sense if you ignore their hideous balance sheets. Uh, there are only three of them, Carnival, Norwegian, Royal Caribbean, the trifecta. When the market crashed this spring, all three cruise stocks got hammered down to low dollar amounts, at which point they were ideal to gun. Once they got to higher dollar amounts earlier this week, the real sellers surfaced, at which point it became clear that this whole rally was based on quicksand and all three stocks collapsed. All three were down double digits today, and I'm not surprised. They're literally not allowed to do business right now. No cruising until July at the absolute earliest, and that's questionable. They gunned the airlines for similar reasons. The whole group got smashed thanks to COVID, but the companies were able to raise equity and or take government money to stave off their own annihilation. They weren't reporting earnings. The big institutions had cleared out, so the novices took over and the airline stocks roared. But then the professionals realized that the travel numbers simply weren't coming back, even as we reopened the economy. Business travelers had to switch to Zoom. Vacationers switched to cars or RVs. Uh, just not enough traffic. It's clear the airlines will need to raise more capital, and now their stocks are going down as rapidly as they went up. If you have planes and, and people don't want to fly, it's like if you have cruise ships and people don't want to cruise. Who wants to own a business without customers? Many retailers fell to the same single-digit levels. Again, they seem attractive with American reopening for business. But now the reopening has arrived, and we're seeing some awful numbers. The neophytes are suddenly running smack into real sellers who don't like the odds, which is how Macy's and Kohl's and Nordstrom are all down double digits today. I can't blame the, uh, either the big dumb sellers or the little dumb sellers. Business is bad. The retailers need to pay the suppliers. They need to pay rent. They need to pay the interest on their debt, all of which comes before the shareholder base. Finally, there were the oils. Again, many of these stocks had fallen to the single digits because Russia and Saudi Arabia got into an idiotic price war that briefly caused West Texas crude to trade down to negative. The long climb back to low 40s created some incredible short-term opportunities, especially if you didn't know how to read a balance sheet. Didn't. And that's why Occidental and Apache became crowd favorites. Now, the price of crude is coming back down. Too much supply again as the producers in the Permian Basin just turn the spigot back on. And today, even after the beatdown, I think they're also the most vulnerable group in this entire market. I wish we didn't have to go through this whole exercise. And sometimes you've got to learn things the hard way. And the lesson of the last few weeks is simple. Live by momentum and you die by momentum. And if you bought these stocks last week, that's all you were doing is chasing momentum. There's more mad money ahead. Including my sit down with the CEO of L3 Harris, find out how the defense sector is faring in an uncertain market. 
Then I'm getting a clear picture of Adobe, one of my all-time favorites. When I sit down with the CEO after earnings, and all your calls rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. market that's suddenly become a heck of a lot more fraud as the major averages have their biggest decline since March 16th. What do we do with the defense contractor usually so steady? Take L3 Harris, the company that was created when L3 Technologies, a company we like very much, merged with another one we like very much, Harris Corporation, last year to create a major player. Roughly a year ago, I started recommending this one because it's involved in all sorts of high-tech areas. Integrated mission systems, intelligence, surveillance, reconnaissance, space, avionics, electrical warfare, precision engagement sensors, drones, all the stuff of modern-day warfare. Plus, I love the merger. And I very much believe the management's ability to deliver on their cost-cutting targets. Initially, the stock roared higher as it should have, but then the pandemic came along. And through the whole, it, 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 the whole world went into disarray. We know L3 Harris is in good shape. Cut reported terrific quarter last month, even as their tiny commercial aviation business is struggling. Everything else, though, good shape. Normally, I feel confident recommending a defense contractor in election year because historically, both parties love throwing money at the Pentagon. But between the pandemic and the protests, we're in a very unsettled moment politically which is why we need to dig deeper. So let's check in with Bill Brown. He's the chairman and CEO of L3 Harris Technologies to get a better sense of how this company's doing and where the industry is headed. Mr. Brown, welcome to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim. Okay, so Bill, when I look at the lineup here, integrated mission systems, space and airborne systems, communication systems, aviation systems, aren't they really the pick of the litter of what a defense budget's about in, uh, in uh, the 2020 timeframe? You know, we certainly think so. You know, as a bigger company, L3 Harris, combination of L3 Corporation and Harris Corporation, of course, we're a bigger player, broader set of missions, broader set of technologies, you know, very good cost synergies. We're starting to see revenue synergies coming through. The team is doing just a fantastic job. We have a great leadership group, dedicated employees, really, really focused on the mission, working hard through these unprecedented times in this pandemic. I couldn't be more proud of what they're delivering for our shareholders. All right. Now, historically, uh, we've seen Republicans in favor of some big programs that involve massive hardware. We've seen the Democrats pretty much involved with what you want in an election year. Should our investors be worried that somehow that will change, given the strange climate we have going into the election? You know, look, Jim, it's a question all investors are asking. I don't think they should be worried. In fact, we live in a very dangerous world. You know, the threats are becoming higher, greater, not lower. You know, we see aggressive actions by China, by Russia, by Iran, by North Korea. You know, those threats are out there. If anything, they're getting worse. And and I think what you're seeing in the defense budget is a pivot towards near-peer competition, away from counterinsurgency, the wars in Iraq and Afghanistan. And when you hear near-peer, you got to think China. And going against China requires technology. It requires delivering platforms to the fight. And those platforms have to get connected. They don't fight by themselves. They have to get connected across space, airborne, ground, maritime. Connecting those platforms means resilient networks, communications links, communication through jamming, ISR capabilities, all of the things that really are in the sweet spot of this company called L3 Harris. Now, you are competing uh, against China uh, in a way. It's not just um, uh, who has tanks. It's not working like that, which means you have to spend a lot of money in R&D. How does that hit your bottom line? You know, look, we're a technology company. Uh, You know, 40% of our employees are technologists, scientists, engineers. 
you know, when I talk to people, I talk about us being a technology-based company that sells into defense and national security markets. In fact, the, the competition of the future, the warfight of the future is going to be based on new technology. Technology is only being developed today. You know, we're right at it. We're investing almost 4% of our revenue in R&D, in, in company-funded R&D. It's at the high point across all the defense space. You know, we're aggressively leaning into this because technology, it really, really is going to drive the future. Okay, so now you've been making these divestitures, which I like. Uh, sometimes maybe it's better to be lucky than good. Uh, you got rid of airport security and automation before really the end of air travel, didn't you? Well, airport security is a very good business. We just didn't think it fit very well with the portfolio that we we're creating at L3 Harris. So we had, we said early on, we said we would uh, shape the portfolio and focus on businesses where we want to invest our management time, our dollars, our resources that really drive strategic, strategic value to our, to our show owners. And that's the path we've been on. So we started very early. We said we would divest 8 to 10% of the revenues of the company. You were through about a third of that. So about half a billion dollars has been sold. Three transactions, two have actually closed and others that are in works and will happen over the course of the balance of this year and into next year. Bill, would you ever consider getting out of the part that is commercial? Because it did ding your quarter. And, you know, I, I t- look, look, as someone who likes pure plays, I don't want to be levered to that industry anymore. Is it worth being levered to it? Well, we're taking, we're taking a look at the whole portfolio, not really okay. commercial or defense. We're looking at all of the businesses that we're in and taking a clear-eyed view of what businesses really drive value into the future. So you're right. We did take a hit this year in the commercial aerospace business. It's not a very big piece of the portfolio. Commercial as a whole is only about 5%. It's split between commercial aerospace and public safety. You know, those businesses were down this year. Commercial aerospace would be down something like 30 to 45% this year. Public safety down about 10%. So we did see a, a step back in our top line growth, about two points off the top line. So growing three to five percent this year instead of the five to seven percent mm-hmm. we originally targeted. But we're able to offset a lot of the earnings impact from that through cost efficiency, through cost synergies and productivity benefits. So we really had trimmed our EPS for the year by about 20 cents per share, which is less than two percent. So we're able to absorb the downturn in the revenue through better focus on cost. All right. One last question on uh, on page 12 of your investor briefing. Uh, which was uh, done in May, and things are happening so fast, I have to ask this. You have a great chart which says shareholder-friendly uh, capital deployment, talking about dividend yeah. increase, share repurchase. Is everything uh, on the table now because of the way the, uh, the stock market worked out and something you put out in May 5th no longer, uh, let's say, no longer is viable? No, that's, that's still very current. We're generating a lot of free cash flow. So even though we reduced our earnings per share for the year, we held our free cash at 2.6 to $2.7 billion dollars. We still see ourselves growing to $3 billion with the free cash flow in calendar 22 through cost savings, through growth, through cost synergy, working capital improvement. And we're going to deploy that most of that cash back to share owners. Today, we have a very, very good balance sheet, less than two times leverage. So okay. we're well capitalized, no pension payments required in the next couple of years. You know, and we're, and we, we we're focused on integration, on divestitures, on the things that make this company better. So really not focused on M&A at this point, which gives us a lot of cash to deploy back to shareholders through dividends and share buybacks. So we said we would do about $2 billion this year in share buybacks. We did 0.7 billion in the first quarter alone, while another 1 billion coming in Q3. 
We pay a very, very attractive okay. dividend. We raised it by 10% in August of last year, 13% yep. in February. So up 25% earned dividend just since the closure eight or nine months ago. So okay. we're, we're very attuned to giving those cash back to owners. All right. Thank you so much, Bill. That's a great story. I'm glad to hear that. And, and I feel like the commercial's under control. That's what matters to me. Bill Brown, Chairman CEO of L3 Harris, LHX. Thank you so much for coming on Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Look, is the dividend intact growing? You've got cash flow, but you always have the possibility it is an election year, although he's, his company's in the speed spot for both. It might back after the break. It is time! It's time for the light round! And then the lightning round's over. Are you ready, Ski Daddy? Time for the lightning round. Over. Mark for Mark. Hi, Jim. Uh, I want to thank you for all the insight you've shared over the oh, years. And um, I've got a question about Raytheon Technologies. I- well, you know, I'm glad you mentioned it. This stock had been too mo- too hot, and now it's coming down. It's at 62. Anywhere below 62. Let's say you get it in the 50s. I want you to buy because you'll be getting that nice 3.25 percent yield. Let's go to Andrew in Arizona. Andrew, where you at from Scottsdale, Arizona, Jim? All right, what's happening? I wanted your take on the Howard Hughes Corporation. That's a real estate developing company, and the last thing I want right now is a real estate development company. How about Carolyn in Florida? Carolyn. Hi, Jim. It's so good to talk to you. Thank you for all that you do. And I just have to give a big shout out to my friend, Gracie and Mary Claire, for telling me all about you. And I've been uh, watching well, I, you I, I, they're night. in my camp. They're in my camp. What's up? <laughs> my question is about Lido's Holding. They buy, you know, it's an interesting pastiche about Mosaic of different companies, including the safety business that they bought from L3 Harris, which I kind of like. But I got to tell you, um, it, it's an inexpensive stock. No catalyst. Let's go to Jack in New Jersey. Jack. Hey, what's going on, Jim? Oh, Jack, what's uh, Jim, up? Uh, not much. Jim, gun sales in Texas were up over 80% last month. There's talk about defunding the police. Uh, Killer Mike just wrote an op-ed about why African Americans should own guns. And Joe Biden is in the lead to be the next president. We all know that no one sells more guns in America than a Democratic president. But the, so the story right now is great for Smith and uh, Wesson. But well, what I want to know is what I do you think know. of their I mean, you know, spinoff? I'm not a political guy. Uh, the stock is up a lot. I don't really have a, a rap on it. I just don't. And that lends them conclusion of the lightning round. The lightning round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. After a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day for the whole market, but especially the Awaken America stocks, I think we need to circle back to the cloud-based software plays that can thrive even in the most difficult of economies. Stocks like Adobe, the digital media and marketing titan that we've liked for ages around here, actually since 50. This thing's been a juggernaut since it bottomed in March, even as it pulled back slightly today. But after the close, Adobe gave us exactly what we need. Results. The company reported a pretty solid quarter, living at 13 cent earnings beat off of a $2.32 basis, even as the sales came in a tad light, up 14% year over year. And their outlook for next quarter was a little weaker than expected. Still, you want a company that can grow at a 14% clip during the worst 
quarter in living memory. And that's why the stock roared in after hours trading. I think it's got a lot more upside. Don't take it from me. Let's dig deeper with Shantanu Narayan. He is the chairman and CEO of Adobe to get a clearer picture of how his company's holding up. Mr. Narayan, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks for having me, Jim, and welcome to my house. Oh, I love it. You got a great, nice white look going there. Uh, And I'll tell you something, you got a great set of numbers. And I want you to talk to people about how when people hunker down and they go inside and they don't work at the office, they go to Adobe to be creative. Well, Jim, I, I think you've always talked about the diversity of our portfolio and how robust it is and how digital is only going to be a tailwind as it relates to companies who are able, whether it's helping individuals be more creative, whether it's helping businesses automate their inefficient paper-based processes, uh, as well as powering digital businesses through commerce. And so, you know, when we look at our quarter, we had an extremely strong quarter. Uh, The digital media net new ARR was a record for a Q2, and as you pointed out, uh, among the worst macroeconomic uh, situations of all time. And it just reflected how people have a story to tell. They needed to be creative. Uh, Certainly the working from home and shelter in place probably served as a catalyst uh, for people wanting the best tools to be creative and productive. And at the other end of the spectrum, uh, the conversation around digital at every enterprise, uh, because if you are unable to engage with your customers through physical means, digital is the only way in which you can do it. And so if you don't have the right website, if you don't have a commerce, uh, you're just not going to be able to transact. And so, you know, we're fortunate. And I I have to say that our employees, the way they rallied and aligned around working from home and maintaining their productivity just makes me incredibly proud of what we were able to accomplish. Now, Shantan, do we have to worry as a country about the demand from small and mid-sized businesses waning because we know they hire people and we know that they've been hurt by this pandemic? Jim, I think you've always uh, spoken about how fundamental small and medium businesses are uh, to this economy, and I agree with you. Uh, While we're fortunate in that we have such a broad spectrum of customers, uh, from somebody who's a K through 12 student to the largest enterprise in the world, there's no question that small and medium businesses are in many ways uh, the lifeblood of our economy, and having them have the ability to open back up and get back to business uh, is going to be important. We're lucky in that we're probably more resilient than most, uh, but you know our hearts go out to them, and I think it's really important that we all think about how we can get them productive uh, and how we can help them uh, you know, with whatever financial issues they might have in the short run. And I know you will do that. You know, it's funny. You put out a statement uh, last night about listening, learning, and taking action. In other words, it's not enough to listen. With you, and I've not, never met Gloria Chan. I sure hope to do so when I get out there. Uh, but before you go into that, I, I have always said to people that you've got to listen to this guy, Shantan and Orion. What he's done is he's given millions of kids, regardless of their background, the ability to be able to show the creative side. You're listening, you're talking, but 30 million students at home with the creative cloud is showing to me that you're doing. Well, I've always uh, said, uh, Jim, that I, I feel so incredibly fortunate to have got the opportunities that I have. And I think it was the emphasis, uh, you know, placed on me as I was growing up by my parents about reading, writing and arithmetic. Uh, Today, 
if somebody doesn't have access to digital literacy, you're going to be disadvantaged for the rest of your lives. And so whatever you can do uh, to enable everybody to have access to digital literacy, to be able to tell that story, to be able to share their ideas, to be able to collaborate, I think it's incumbent uh, on every one of us, and especially leaders like Adobe in this space, uh, to make sure that we do our part uh, to help that next generation of education that happens. And it's going to happen increasingly, as you point out, through distance learning. The next generation tells me, and I get it from my, my daughter, she said, you got, you got to tell Shantanu, it is impossible to be a responsible person in their 20s looking for a job without being good at Illustrator, Photoshop, and Lightroom. That those are three things that you must be fluent in to get a creative job in our country. Well, we appreciate that. And as your daughter points out, I mean, uh, images and artwork and illustration is actually what drives the economy. And what's been particularly gratifying is how uh, during this time, people have actually taken to creativity as a form of self-expression. They've taken it as a way of coping uh, with what needs to happen. Uh, Jim, we did this uh, uh, online training which allowed people through a product that we also have called Adobe Fresco to right. participate with one of the greatest uh, artists that we have within the company. And it's sort of a draw along. Uh, and the amount of energy uh, that people have uh, contributed uh, to creating when we did our Honor Heroes campaign to honor those who put their lives at stake and uh, were on the front lines, we said, let's create a creative campaign to honor those heroes. And the amount of submissions that come in from everywhere around the world because they recognize what these folks are doing, uh, it just, you know, that's the emotional connection that not only are we able to have with our customers, but that's what creative does for us as a world and as a society. Well, what you do impacts people instantly, whether it be what you just mentioned or you put out an app that my daughter was using this morning. I, whenever time it came out, the camera app. She said, Dad, it's an app. I said, did you, I said, did you buy this feature? She said, Dad, no, it's an app, but everybody's using it. I'm like, I don't know how you have the zeitgeist that you could have something that everybody's using. What did it come out about eight hours ago? Well, Photoshop camera that you're referring to, Jim, this is where uh, everybody has always known the power of uh, Photoshop. And we've like, why not bring that? into the device that everybody's using to take all those pictures, which is uh, a mobile device. And so whether you're on Android or whether you're on iOS, bringing that power, it's also a new form of app that we've come up with, which is uh, two real particularly distinguishing features. The first is the amount of artificial intelligence right. uh, in that right. application that enables you, you know, to automatically take better pictures, something that I know a lot of us will do. And second, for the community to participate with different kinds of lenses. And so expect to see some really cool lenses that are being contributed by the community that will actually enhance the value of that particular application. Well, that's why, I mean, look, we can go over digital media. We can, do the, the, we can do the ARR, what the numbers is. What I'm talking about is the creative spirit you have is what's going to get your company through this when other companies just don't have the ability to be as creative as you are. Shantan and Orion, thank you so much for coming on, man, buddy. Thanks for having me, Jim. Adobe's the real deal. I've been telling you this, Shantanu, ever since he changed his model back to when it became a, a model that's a cloud business, it's been the right stock. If this gets hit, you know where to go. Everybody's back after the break. 
I like to say that there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to try to find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. Travel is great, but planning for travel can be time-consuming and difficult. That's where One Travel comes in. With One Travel, you'll find everything you need to book the perfect trip. Flights, hotels, cars, transportation, it's all right there. With One Travel, you can book online, via app, or even pick up the phone and talk to a travel advisor ready to help you make your selections. Visit onetravel.com slash music or call 855-437-2154. Plan it, book it, live it. One Travel.